In the holy name of Jesus. This Sunday on the church calendar has a special name. It's called Laetara, Rejoice. It comes from the old introit for today from Isaiah 66. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her, all you who mourn over her. Rejoicing in the midst of mourning. That is the fourth Sunday in Lent. Today is Rejoice Sunday, and we see it in our gospel for today. The father says to his eldest son, It was necessary to celebrate and be glad to rejoice. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It was necessary to rejoice. It was imperative, and it is an imperative for us. Rejoice. Now, it is not something that a Christian is free either to do or not do. It is not something that you can do if you feel like it, and if you don't, you don't have to. Church is. This is a celebration And it is not for those only who are in the mood to come to church. It is for everyone, for us. We must celebrate. It is necessary, says the Father, to celebrate. I know the the translation that we have, the ESV, says fitting. That's a bit too weak. You know, the word is necessary. It's necessary to celebrate. And it might seem an odd thing to... uh, command someone to celebrate, command someone to be glad, because we usually think of these things as feelings, and you can't, <laughs> you can't command a feeling. But joy is not a feeling. It is an attitude. It is a disposition. And it is also a skill. Celebration is a skill. You can learn to celebrate. You can improve your celebration. And especially today, you can choose to celebrate something that is worthy of celebration, whether you feel like it or not. You can obey your Father's command and celebrate and rejoice. So let's talk about how. Jesus today is speaking to the Pharisees as often he does. And they are the sort of older brothers of Israel. They teach Israel. They lead Israel by example. And He is teaching these Pharisees, these elder brothers of Israel, how to properly celebrate. Pharisees are not actually what they are commonly called hypocrites. They actually practice what they preach. They preach keeping the traditions of the elders. (laughs) And that they do. They keep the traditions of the elders. They preach external works and they accomplish external works. That's what they do. But their preaching and their practice are deficient. And the elder brother is their icon. The older brother practiced what he preached. He preached staying home and staying faithful to his father. And he did stay home. And he did everything that his father commanded him. But he does not celebrate staying home. He does not rejoice in what his father has commanded him, has told him, has said to him. And here's why. 
he is jealous of his younger brother. And that is sort of the twist at the end of the parable. The older brother, it turns out, is jealous of the experience of his younger brother. He disapproves, of course, but you can tell, you can tell that he's thought a lot about what his brother might be doing in a distant land. He is jealous of what he imagines his brother's experience to be, not because he approves of it or not because he would dare to do it himself, but he is jealous of the fun that it must have been in the moment or something like that. He has thought a lot about it. He's built it up in his mind, and he is jealous. He would never have done it himself. He would never have gone along the way of his wicked brother. He just wants a young goat. That's all he wants, to go off and celebrate with his friend. That's all he's asking for. He probably isn't even the kind of guy who would go out and blow his inheritance. But all his thoughts are colored with a sort of jealousy because he thinks that his younger brother has gotten away with it. He thinks his younger brother has gotten away with all of his sins. And that makes him jealous. And this is the key between the relationship, the relationship between the younger and the older. The younger was not punished by his father. Perhaps in the way the elder brother had been disciplined by his father throughout the years. Or at least corrected or advised as, as father corrects son. The younger was not punished. And the elder... And to the elder, that means that he had gotten away with something. The younger was not punished. He had had his fun. He had wasted everything. And he isn't asked to pay back a single cent. He isn't asked to do anything to make uh, penance for these things. He gets off scot-free for all of his sins. And the elder brother, of course, is furious, as many an older brother is. And he is furious because he is jealous, and he is jealous because he completely misunderstands the nature of sin. Sin is not something you can get away with. The father is not letting the younger brother off scot-free. It is simply that the father understands what sin is, its nature, and he understands that sin, in the end, is its own punishment. The parable could not be more clear. Sometimes this parable is used as an excuse for kind of, you know, letting sin slide. It's, you know, we're supposed to uh, ignore and pretend that sins never happened because that's what the father did. But that is not what the father did. That would be heinous. That would be unrighteous. Pretending all is well when it isn't is not just a farce. It is just as evil as sin itself. But Jesus today is not saying, oh, just let it go. Jesus is depicting that sin is its own punishment. It's not something you can get away with. It will infect and destroy you. And we see what happens to this younger brother. It ruins him. It chews him up and spits him out as a shell, a pathetic shell of his former aristocratic self. Morally, financially, um, socially, everything is gone. And the point is clear. Sin is embarrassing. 
It is debasing. It reduces us to this subhuman level. You can't get away with your sins. It carries its own punishment. A faithful father should discipline his children because in the middle, you know, sins do are their own punishment eventually. But you hope to discipline your children not to get to that point. And a father desperately wants to teach his dear child what is coming further down that road. But when that shameful, debasing, sinful road has been traveled to its end, and sin itself has done its work and the road leads home, the father welcomes because the Father knows the nature of sin. And the thing about it is, both, both the sinner, both the runaway and also the one who would not have mercy, the older brother in this case, both of those people misunderstand the nature of sin. The sinner is pursuing joy, is pursuing achievement, perhaps, or satisfaction in sin. And the merciless one, the judgmental one, uh, is, he feels that the sinner, you know, he'd never do it himself, but he feels that the sinner has gotten away with something. But see how both of these give sin way too much credit, right? The, the sinner doesn't get away with anything. The older brother, instead of being jealous, ought to have mourned for his brother. Instead of being angry, as if he's getting away with something, ought to have mourned what his brother was doing to himself. What his, and that's what Jesus' parable leads us to realize, that, that he should have mourned for his brother. His brother is a shell of his former self. He has nothing because of his sins. And he should have been every day thanking God that he was not, you know, for whatever reason, whatever divine reason, not, he, that he was spared from that fate, that he was spared from that life thankful that he was spared such foolishness and uh, the experience of such wickedness. And see how this sort of jealousy is foolish. It pretends that sin is more than it is. But by contrast, mourning, feeling sorry for the sinner, realizing what sin does to those who sin, to those affected by it, see how this mourning actually leads to joy, leads to celebration over the one sinner who repents. And Psalm 51, which we, um, we prayed uh, with Pastor Bars in the introit, and we'll also pray after uh, the sermon in the offertory, create in me, Psalm 51, shows us this progression if you go home and read it through. In verse 3, David says, I acknowledge my sin. In verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop that I may be clean. In verse 8, he says, Make me to hear joy. In 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart. In 12, he says, Restore to me the joy. And then in 13, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. And then in 15, he says, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. And then in 19, he says, Then, O Lord, you will be pleased with sacrifices and offerings, as we will 
bring our offerings after the offertory. The, Psalm 51 traces this course from the shame of sin through forgiveness to this rejoicing that is not held in, but instead is shared and spread and brings in many, teaches transgressors the ways of the Lord, and ultimately returns in a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. So in the divine service, the pastor at the altar is called the celebrant. He is the one who celebrates the divine service. And today, this is my last time to celebrate with you all and for you all. Today is the last time that I get to say to you, uh, the Lord be with you, or lift up your hearts, or let us give thanks unto the Lord, and today is the last time you get to say to me, it is meet and right so to do. Now that's archaic, right? We don't talk like that anymore. Um, But I was just looking at the archaic version of our parable today, the, um, the King James Version, and the Father says this, It was meet that we make merry and be glad. It practically sings itself, doesn't it? It was meet that we make merry and be glad. Say it with me. It was meet that we make merry and be glad. Ah, beautiful. So we see... I don't know if they meant to do that, but every time you say, it is meet and right so to do, what you're saying is it is necessary. It is necessary. It meets the standard that we celebrate with the pastor at the altar and with you all to celebrate the feast that we have received. It was meet that we make merry and be glad, and today it is meet and right so to do. Because we gather around the same feast pictured today in our gospel. A feast with room for the runaways and for those who blessedly are not runaways. For those who blessedly stayed in the Father's house all the days of their life. It is blessed anyway. It is blessed to be here in the feast of the Father and so we celebrate. This is the house where sin is named what it is. This is the house where mercy and joy of our Heavenly Father are received. May our Lord bless your celebrations here. May our Lord bless what He gives you in this place. And may you all always rejoice in the forgiveness, life, and salvation of our Heavenly Father. In the holy name of Jesus, 